friends. Thanks for hanging out on this Church Tips podcast. And I am here today with my good friend, David Lindell, who is the executive ministry pastor at James River Church, which is the church I've been a part of with now for 23 years. Can you believe this, David? 23 years. It's awesome. It's awesome. uh, David and I have had conversation of late on the subject of Christians and social media. Social media is a great gift to our world. And at the same time, it produces some challenges for the local church. And so I just want David to talk to us as a pastor and what he sees um, that that can go sideways on social media and then the solutions he thinks that we as believers need to focus in on. So David, the Christian social media, what in the world should we be doing with this? (laughs) Well, first off, it's amazing to be a part of this podcast, and I'm so thankful for you and Jonathan and your team and what you do to strengthen the body of Christ, um, not just nationally, but internationally. I know your influence carries around the world, and so the way you're resourcing pastors and ministries and prompting them through avenues like this podcast to think seriously about their influence and how to steward that well. It makes an incredible difference. I know it's personally benefited me and James River Church. And so thank you for all that you do. And yes, the Christian and social media and what a landscape uh, we are facing right now. There's just, in my opinion, a lot of pitfalls, but also a lot of opportunity. And usually that's the way opportunity works. Where there's opportunity, there will be opportunity for misstep. And so um, my concern, honestly, as a pastor, is that post-pandemic, so we came out of this time where there was so much division and and really leaders were in a, a season trying to navigate everything well, trying to help people navigate their life well. And Honestly, seeing the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ accelerate online, which is such an exciting time in the life of the church. Never before have we seen so many ministries making an impact and touching parts of the world that they were never touching before. How cool is that? There's so many benefits that God, you know, God turned the pandemic on its head. He used it for the good of the church, which we knew he would. And so watching that happen has been so cool. But What I think has accelerated as well is a culture online among Christians in particular are those who would associate with the body of Christ, because I don't know anybody's heart, but those who would name the name of Jesus and in that name or in the name of Christian discernment, they would then pontificate about a ministry that they're not a part of, where they have no leadership over, and maybe they're not leading anything at all. But they all of a sudden have taken on the mantle of the God squad, or they feel like they're a deputy to Jesus. And their their goal, it feels like online, is to go around and police other ministries or to point out all of the errors, either methodologically or theologically, that they see in various ministries. And they do it publicly. And so this is done through influencers on YouTube. In fact, if you type in And I think this is to our shame, honestly. If you type in on the internet false teachers, it will populate with hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of hours of videos from Christian influencers critiquing ministries that they've never been a part of, ministries that maybe they've never read a book by the prominent teacher or pastor. They may have listened to a handful of clips from sermons, but never a whole sermon. And even if they had, that wouldn't give them license to do that than what they do. But there, I think there's a lot of platform building, honestly, in the name of helping Christians think wisely 
But when it comes down to it, what I see as a pastor is a lot of gossip. It's a lot of, it's a lot of name calling. It's a lot of things that honestly, I think aren't helpful. And I, and I, I just would be curious even kind of what your perspective is on that. Well, that's exactly what it is. Uh, when, when you're, t- I mean, I've, I've, I made these observations that similar kinds of observations, even before the social media snowball began to go. I mean, if um, if you are in leadership of your church, then critique inside the walls of your church or inside the leadership of your church, the things going on in your church. But to make an observation of someone elsewhere even though you you've heard them say something that you know is theologically wrong or whatever, I mean that is not my role. I'm not there. I'm not yeah. a leader there. I'm not an influencer there. I can observe, and I'm a, I'm going to stay focused where I am planted, and that's the same kind of principle. I'm just affirming uh, what yeah. you're saying. I'm just well, uh, and I'm, I'm I would say you know kind of on this whole thing like. To me, what's sad about it is there are open-handed theological issues. Those are those are things that cr- not every Christian believes, and that's okay. When we get to heaven, Jesus will sort it out for us. Okay, so that's that's a wonderful thing. Like there's diversity in the body of Christ on a bunch of open-handed issues. So that could be you know small groups or Sunday school, completely open-handed. We don't have a Bible verse that tells us one is spiritually superior to the other or one is errant doctrinally. Then there are the close-handed issues. These These are things that Christians believe universally. And if you don't believe it, you're not a Christian. So think the Apostles' Creed. You know, this is the core of Christian doctrine and theology. But most of what you're seeing online is pontificating about open-handed issues or issues that Christians should be flexible on, but we become very inflexible. And I don't think the inflexibility is without a reason. I think the inflexibility feeds the beast. Honestly, because there is a mob mentality that social media feeds on as just an entity. And so there's a lot of dogpiling. And what's unfortunate is the facts don't really matter. Um, Often it's not an issue of what is actually being taught on the whole. It's an issue of that one clip taken out of context that now somebody pontificates on or posts about, and now everybody jumps on that. And what's so sad to me about that is you actually see this happen in the pages of Scripture to the church's detriment. Acts chapter 21, we, we've we been preaching through the book of Acts at James River, and in Acts chapter 21, the Apostle Paul comes into to Jerusalem. He knows that God has called him there ultimately to get to Rome, but as he gets there, he meets with the Jerusalem elders, namely James, the brother of Jesus, and he's sharing all of the amazing things that God has done among the Gentiles. And they're like, well, hold up. There's a little narrative that's been perpetuated about you, and it's not good. And it we know, because we know the historical context, that the instigators of this narrative are not believers. The instigators of the narrative are the Judaizers. They're people who said, hey, you can follow Jesus, but you also have to follow the law. And so unbelievers have perpetuated a narrative about the apostle Paul because they don't like him, but believers bought into it. And in the social media of the day, i.e. just plain old gossip, they had spread this word about Paul that he was anti-Jewish, he was an anti-Semite, that he was anti-Moses. None of it was true. But James, as the pastor of the Jerusalem church, comes to Paul and says, hey, we got to do a little PR campaign here to let the believers know that what has been told to them is actually not accurate, which is just so sad 
you know, the Apostle Paul, this guy who has laid down his life for the sake of the gospel, who has been fiery in his presentation, now has to do some like PR work in, on the Temple Mount to try to get the church to buy into him in Jerusalem. And it's all because of a false narrative that's been perpetuated from the outside. And I think that's where believers have to be really careful that online, what is so easy is to feed a narrative that was actually started by enemies of the gospel. So people who are, who are not pro Jesus, they're not pro church. They would like nothing more than the Christian narrative and the Christian message to recede, to die. And they're perpetuating a, a you know, whether it's a false claim about a ministry or a pastor or a teacher, and then believers dogpile on that unwittingly and feed that false narrative. And so I think you'd be really wise before you tweet something, before you post something on an Instagram story or put up a TikTok about it, to discover the origins of where that claim came from. And even if it's actually true, what if it's not true? What if it's not true? And you're you're shocked. You're appalled that this is happening. But to me, what's happening there is nothing more than the rage machine. It's like, oh, I can't believe that they would say that. I've always felt like they were a little bit off. You know, it's like, but are they, is that actually happening? And now are we buying into really a gossip line of reasoning? And the scary part to me is we're doing something in the name of, well, this is what Christians, Christians need to be discerning. Christians need to be wise. I absolutely believe that. Christians do need to be discerning and need to be wise. But there are people who are building a platform on this whole, Christians need to be discerning and need to be wise. And the way that they're building that platform is by identifying all the people that Christians need to be on the lookout for. They're identifying the theological boogeyman. And they're doing it and they're trashing other people's ministry. And yet God never gave them license to do that. Jesus appointed disciples, not heresy hunters. Jesus appointed disciples, not little sheriff's deputies. And we don't ever have record in the, in the New Testament. We don't have record of the church in Ephesus writing a letter to the church in Corinth criticizing their their theology or their practice of the spirit, even though there were things to criticize. We know that because the apostle Paul calls them out, but Paul has spiritual authority. He planted that church. He knows that church. So people are like, well, Paul did it. Well, Paul's their pastor. Yeah, That's different. Paul's their pastor. You're not their pastor. Like we don't have record of the church in Thessalonica writing a letter to another New Testament church going, hey, you know, you need to know that what you're doing here is wrong and this event is not wrong and you're signaling this and you're doing that. They're not doing that. Why? Who's calling them out? Who's encouraging them? Who's correcting false doctrine or false teaching? It's the Apostle Paul. It's their pastor. That's different. And so in the name of, well, Paul did it, so I can do it. That doesn't work. It doesn't pass the smell test. And instead, what we're doing is we're perpetuating a false narrative or an incomplete narrative about ministries. And honestly, what it comes down to, it's, it's gossip. I mean, James says, what does James say? He says, the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Yeah, yeah. And we're, we're saying, well, I, I didn't say anything. No, 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 no. If you typed it out, if you if you punched it in on your iPhone and you sent out a video... Now, that's the same thing. And here's the thing. You can unwittingly become a mouthpiece for hell. 
because Satan wants to create division. He wants to create disunity. I mean, you go back to Acts 21. Paul is having to do damage control for a narrative that was started by unbelievers. Who do you think that was behind that narrative? Yeah, right. The enemy, like the father of lies is behind the lie. But if Christians aren't careful, what we can do is we can give our backing, we can give our voice to a lie that the enemy started, which is tragic. And then we invite the world in to be part of the peanut gallery and eat their popcorn and watch the church duke it out in front of everybody. What are we doing? So I I just that that is a huge concern to me because, you know, going back to the book of James, he says, we who teach will be judged more strictly. That's a huge weight of responsibility on any pastor, teacher, evangelist, on any writer, on any, you know, who, wherever uh, sphere of leadership you're in, if you're teaching biblical content, you know that one day you're going to stand before God and he's going to weigh that out. You're going to be judged more strictly. And who's the judge there? Is it the guy down the road? Is it the guy in Wisconsin on his computer in his mom's basement? No. Is it the influencer who's building his YouTube channel? No. The person who's judging is Jesus. Ultimately, so it's Jesus is the ultimate judge. And then he placed spiritual leaders over those ministries that they're there to yield to. And those voices have the opportunity and the authority to speak into areas where they have concerns or they want to call them back to uh, a certain level of standard of teaching. But it's not the job of Christians to pontificate online about the errors or inadequacies or the methodological, you know, frustrations they have. I can't believe they did that at their event. You know, like that's not your job. In fact, our job, Jesus said, by this People will know you're my disciples if you do what? If you love one another. Not if you correct one another. Not if you call out your doctrinal pet peeve online in front of one another. No, no, no. He said if you love one another. And so much of our posting is is missing that element. It's missing that 1 Corinthians 13 love one another element where we press the pause button and say, does this conform to what the Apostle Paul called us to do in 1 Corinthians 13. It, it, does it demonstrate to the world that we love one another? Well, I love sound doctrine. Well, I love sound doctrine too, but it's not sound doctrine to gossip about other believers online. Now you've missed the whole point. And so that's my concern when I see believers posting online. They're, they're, they've self-deputized in a way that really at the bottom, at the base of it, is just gossip. And it's shameful because it's in front of people who don't know Jesus. And our calling is the Great Commission to go in all the world and preach the gospel. My question is, are we doing that first and foremost? Is that what your presence online is about? Because it should be. It should be. That's true for all of us. You know, we've got a boatload of people that are listening to what we're talking about today. And uh, I'm going to, we pray for this to happen, that that there'd be a sense of uh, conviction or maybe self-examination. Sure. Maybe, Hopefully for all of us. Yeah. So maybe we should move forward differently. So David, how no. would you advise us now uh, going forward? How can we really use social media well? Yeah. Right things and do it all in the spirit of Christian love. 
Yeah, well, I, I one her, time heard a leader, a very prominent Christian leader, say this, and I think it's true. Eat it before you tweet it. So let it digest. And I think a lot of times we're not pressing the pause button. We're worked up about something. We saw a video online and now we're like, oh, this is this is big. This is important. If I don't add my voice to the conversation, how will the world know? Yeah. And we've, I think, overinflated our self-importance, which is really sad. And we haven't thought of ourselves in accordance with sound and sober judgment or thought of our words in terms of the megaphone that they are going to be shouted through, namely the internet or social media. And Rick Warren famously said that when you post something, it is instant, constant, global, and permanent. It never goes away. No. Never yeah. goes away. So it will be part of your legacy, not your online legacy, because we live so much of our life online. It'll be part of your life's legacy. Mm-hmm. So maybe it would be wise to, to stop, to maybe sit on the video, sit on the post, sit on the comment and go, Lord, I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to pray for that person. I think it was Oswald Sanders who said, when God gives us insight into another person's deficiencies, he does it so that we can pray for them. So I guess my question, and this is a question to me, it'd be a question to anybody listening to this, is how much time have you invested in interceding for that person that you're so concerned about their ministry? Because concern will yield, honestly, the response that is most powerful if you're really concerned. And the response that is most powerful to any concern that you have about any ministry is to pray for them, to get on your knees and go, God, would you help them? God, would you give them wisdom? God, would you? Here's what I'm thinking. Okay, talk about the president. You might not agree with the person that's in office, but how often have you criticized them and how often have you prayed for them? Because maybe, just maybe, things would be different in Washington if Christians got off their phones and on their knees and had a conversation with God asking him to do a work in the heart of President Biden, to do a work in the heart of the Senate Democrats you don't like, to do a work in the heart of your governor that you disagree with. Maybe, just maybe, our world would look different if we were called to intercession instead of criticism. And here's the newsflash. We are called to intercession. And so I think Paul Pausing and going, God, have I done what is most powerful and what I'm actually commanded to do? And that's to pray and intercede for and to call on God, because I believe it's the most powerful. Prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. We all know that, but we too seldom do that. And so that's, I think for me, I just go back to, okay, what do we do? We need to be praying for our leaders. We need to, especially, we need to be praying for pastors. They are trying to lead well. They're getting up on Sundays and most of them, most of them are trying to teach the Bible and encourage people to believe God. It may not be your theological stream. It may not be your preaching preference. It may not be your style. You might not do it that way. Here's the good news. It's fine. It's fine. God's got it. And he's using a variety of different, that's look at all the denominations in the world. Some people are like, oh, what a shame. We have all these denominations. Maybe it's just an expression of the diversity, the beautiful diversity that is found within the body of Christ. And if we could celebrate one another instead of criticizing one another, how much more could we do for the cause of Christ and the building of what Jesus is building, namely the church? And so I I just, you know, I'm 
I'm concerned, but I'm also hopeful because just because we're seeing this now doesn't mean we have to always see this. Doesn't mean that has to be what next year looks like. Doesn't mean that we can't turn the tide because I think honestly, if Christians would just celebrate whenever you see criticism, what do I do with that? If I see somebody who's worked up about it, man, just say, Hey, I'm praying for them. I love them. I'm so thankful for all that God has done through their ministry. And I'm praying that their best days are ahead of them. That could change things, you know? So I just, you know, I I would encourage Christians to think about maybe having a conversation in person, maybe sending a heartfelt email that says, Hey, you know what? I don't know you. I don't, I've never been to your church. I've I've benefited from so much of your teaching, but I I do have a question about what you said, you know, when you talked about this passage, it seems a little off to me. I'm not trying to, you know, throw a rock at you or I'm I'm not, I'm not posting this online. I'm just curious. I want to grow, like, help me understand where you're coming from. Here's the thing that takes more time. It takes more mental process. And a lot of times that's why we skip it because it's easier to throw out a comment, it's easier to record a video and get a bunch of people to dogpile on that one thing with us than it is to say, you know what, I'm just going to have a conversation with one person because you know what, Matthew 18, Jesus said, if your brother offends you, go to them, go to them, just go and have a conversation with them. Say, Hey, I'm a little concerned about this. And before you let it rise to the level of a public offense and invite the whole world in on it, Maybe just say, let's have a, let's have coffee. Maybe go encourage, buy that pastor in your city lunch. Send him a gift card and say, I'm praying for you. Wow. What would that do? You know, and I'm not asking for gift cards. So don't, like, that's not for me. That's for your town. Like, don't do that. You know, like it, what, but ask the Lord, how could I encourage them? And what would, I'm praying that you would speak to them. What would, what would move that forward? Yeah. Imagine what would happen if the church in Jerusalem had rejected the narrative that the Judaizers had perpetuated about the Apostle Paul. I think maybe those days would look a lot different yeah. and a lot more fruitful. Now, God works all things together for the good. Thank God for his providence. And he moves Paul forward. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that God, God did exactly what he saw fit to do according to his, the knowledge of his perfect pleasing and goodwill. Like he did that. And he worked through the mess that was in Jerusalem in that moment. And God can work through the mess today. So I'm encouraged by that, but we have a responsibility to speak life. And so that's, that's where I'm at. Well, and I'll tell you, I mean, I could be accused of being old school on this, but when you pick up the phone, it's, I get it. It's hard to do. It's easier to type hit send, but I'm telling you, you get voice to voice face-to-face. Yeah, conversation. And and things just tend to calm down. They do. You just don't get the, you used the term earlier, the rage mentality. Because, oh, I'm yeah. face-to-face with an acquaintance, a friend, maybe somebody I haven't met, and I talk through in that way. So true. It's well, so good. Uh, give us a parting shot. What would be, if people didn't hear anything you had to say today? <laughs> um, well, I... Uh, I'm sure there will be a comment or two on this. I'm and sure so I'm not here to cause you problems. Uh, but what's a pardon shot for us? Yeah. I mean, I would take people back to 1 Corinthians 13 and just say, you know, that chapter on love. You know, if I do it without love, I'm just a I'm just a clanging symbol. And I think we have a lot of clanging symbols online. And, you know, we're just adding to the noise and it's not productive. It's not helpful. It's not encouraging. And here's what I would say. What does the person who knows nothing about God 
do with the conversation on your, you know, the posts that you put out because you were so, what do they do if they join your Facebook group and they see all the chatter? Does it cause them to go, oh, I want to be a part of this? I, I wish I was just part of the community that does this. If it doesn't, there's something wrong because we should have an attractive spirituality. Mm-hmm. Our walk with God, our love for God, our love for one another should should beckon people to want to be a part of the most dynamic, most powerful, most beautiful organization on the planet, yep. the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. The good news is Jesus is building his church. Right. The bad news is that sometimes we're working against what he's building yep. and we're doing it with a rationale that says we're actually on the team and we're wearing the jersey and that's why we're posting this, but we're not we're not inhabiting the values of the kingdom and what we're posting or how we're saying what we're saying. And kingdom values have to come through in what we post and what we comment and how we carry ourselves. If it's in your workplace or if it's on your Twitter account, if it's on TikTok or if it's, you know, in the church parking lot, kingdom yeah. values are what need to guide our conversation because that is what the world is looking for. The kingdom is attractive. People want to be a part of the kingdom of God. If they see it for what it is in you, they'll want to be a part of it. That's so good. And what God wants to use that to, to do what Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus called us to do. Go and make disciples. Yeah. That's what we should be doing wherever we find ourselves, even online. That's good. That's good. David, can't thank you enough for taking time to uh, be with us on the Church Tips podcast. This has been very, very helpful. Loved it. Uh, for those of you who are Uh, watching and uh, haven't subscribed yet be sure to subscribe to the podcast and uh, certainly it helps us if you rate and review it and uh, we'll be back uh, next time with another what we hope to be high value um, church tip for you that will help the church grow and advance again david thanks so much Uh, make it a great one today and be blessed so good hey jonathan here real quick before you go Everything in your ministry rises and falls on your leadership. So investing in your leadership is essential to staying healthy and growing the ministry. And that's why I want to invite you to join us inside the Leaders.Church membership. This online streaming service for pastors gives you access to more than 300 videos plus training material to level up your leadership and improve your ministry skills. If you'd like to do that, I want to invite you to go to Leaders.Church slash boost. Again, that's Leaders.Church slash boost. Well, thanks again for joining us on the Church Tips podcast. We'll look forward to seeing you next time.